Welcome back to the Madness and Grace podcast. Today, I am joined by my co-host, Matt Stanford, and we are also joined by Colleen Swindle-Thompson. Thank you so much for joining us today, Colleen. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, As I was uh, telling Colleen earlier, I wanted to do an episode on uh, caring for caregivers and the uh, trials that caregivers go through. And I I could not think of a better person than uh, Colleen Swindoll Thompson. She is uh, just a special, special individual and a friend. And uh, and I really uh, respect what she does. She's no stranger to trauma and trials. Her experience with domestic abuse, parenting a child with multiple disabilities, identity theft, medical mayhem, a difficult divorce, betrayal from trusted Christians and the like has given her an unwavering passion to encourage and equip caregivers and their families with truths and tools that help them live regardless of life's ever-changing circumstances. She's the founder of Reframing Ministries, which is a division of Insight for Living Ministries. Uh, and uh, she uh, is author of a couple of books, but uh, she also is just an absolute wealth of knowledge on what it is to be a caregiver what uh, the real side of caregiving is like and uh, and is willing to talk about it. So Colleen, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Matt. I'm just so honored that you called and asked me to do this. Well, appreciate that. I appreciate that you're here. So you want to kick us off, Emily? Yeah. Well, Matt did a great job of introducing you, but if you don't mind sharing a little bit more about your personal story and how you came to start Reframing Ministries. Sure. Um, And I want to mention before I go into it is that we do have a 23-minute documentary on that. If people want to see it in in picture form, it's really good. uh, reframingministries.com. I can put that in our show notes as well. Okay. Sure um, but I had an idea of what life would look like as many of us do going into young adulthood and um, reframing came together when my life fell apart. And basically what Matt said in the introduction of going through a lot of challenges that were very, very unexpected. Um, and then having my son with a ton of challenges and then more challenges after we did all the things that I knew to do and that were medically supported. It was like, things are a mess. And the reframing word, although it's rather abstract, is a cognitive behavioral therapy word most often. And that basically means when you change your perspective, when you address false beliefs, false expectations that you've clung to, then you're going to change your destination. There's a great book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Great book, not on disabilities, but just on living. And where I was was very stuck and I didn't know how to move forward. There was no formula. Um, there wasn't any support that I could find. And so I thought, I don't want anyone to walk this road alone ever. So that's how reframing got started. And I put it into three different sections. The first is we hit a place where our lives are basically ruined in one or multiple areas. And what does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that do internally? What is God doing in that space? And then there's a renew, uh, renewing phase, not renewing, that's the third one. Um, it's what is the tip? I can't even remember. It's like your the do-it-yourself stuff. When you have a home that they go in and they trash, mm-hmm. nobody is ever crying when they throw everything out because they know the rebuilding process is going to end up beautiful. Well, that's exactly what God is doing in our lives through reframing. That middle process is taking out what is not needed in 
our souls and our lives and then adding him into us mm-hmm. and moving us in a different direction. And then we are renewed in a new purpose, new direction. I wouldn't be doing this today if I had not gone through all of that. So that's, I tried to make it quick, but that's how reframing got started. Great. You know, sadly, I often find that caring for a child with a mental health or neurodevelopmental disorder does not seem to fit into what is envisioned as the, say, quote unquote, victorious Christian life or the perfect Christian family, kind of quote unquote. What would you say to that? Um, I think that there is, um, that's kind of an oxymoron because the perfect Christian family then removes Christ completely from our lives and our need for him. Um, which I had that I grew up in a pastor's home. I, I clung to my faith as I knew it then. And it was a lot about doing, and I didn't know a lot about being. And so when Jonathan, my youngest with the challenges, um, we couldn't fit into a church. I was like, I don't know what to do. And when things completely fell apart, it is messy. And I learned a lot of folks in the church, not all, but many are very uncomfortable with a mess. Mm-hmm. And that's because we aren't comfortable with it internally. And so my, my response to your question is how do we address that? First is we have to address ourselves and take ownership for having this belief that I have to look a certain way. I have to be a certain way. I mean, I had that down to a T, my kids were on a schedule and they were just going to fit into this nice box that mom put together and that on, on principles that are scriptural. However, when John didn't fit into any of that and there wasn't a routine and I didn't know what to do, I realized I need Jesus. I cannot go forward without him supplying at times for us to have a place to sleep at night. There was a period of time where we were going from hotel to hotel for safety. And I said, guys, Jesus is going to provide this. But that was not on my calendar. And that was not in my schedule. Mm -hmm. So we need to address the false beliefs that we have. We need to address the fact that a lot of pride goes into how we look out externally. Like, what does a good Christian look like? Look at the disciples. Matthew can go to the synagogue as a tax collector. They were all, Peter's a bully. So we need to start with the biblical view of this is what Christianity looks like. It's raw. It's it's messy. Um, Step into that and be okay with that. I still struggle with wanting things to be perfect. And God still continues to bring me back to, nope, today is today. I'm with you today. Be responsible, but trust me. I really like uh, your focus on having the caregiver, the, the the individual themselves, to kind of redo their expectations and their beliefs, and and recognize that they really only could change themselves. They can't change what other people think. They can't change. You know, if somebody else doesn't see your family as the perfect Christian family, then that's their problem. That's not a you problem. So, yeah. well, as a mother who has raised a son with autism, what advice would you give to churches specifically on how to best support parents and children in the congregation with similar challenges? Okay. I have two levels of that. One is practical and then one is pretty conceptual. Um, first, I will say to pastors and leaders, the the need to embrace those with differences is essential because leadership starts. The church congregation is going to follow the leader. 
So that mm-hmm. attitude has to come from the leadership involved. Next, I would say on a practical level, there are just a bazillion things that you and I do every day that are that are very hard to accomplish when you have someone with a mental disability or challenge, a mental illness, and they are in a season of compromise, then your entire attention goes to that. And there's still dishes to do. There's laundry to do. There's the car to get fixed. There are um, meals to prepare. So practical everyday things, mow the lawn, um, send gift cards for food or or deliver groceries, look up diagnoses online, and then go to those sites. Like if there's a schizophrenia, a schizophrenia diagnosis, look that up. And then there's a resource page on almost every site. Look at the resources, how to support someone, learn about what they're struggling with. And then you'll find they talk a lot about the caregivers and the caregiver was going to need emotional support. Like that's when we move into the conceptual ones, which is just basic empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't help to say, I can't imagine. Well, I couldn't imagine either. (laughs) What helps is I'm here with you. I'm present. Mm -hmm. I can be available on these times at these days. Um, Step into that world without expectation or judgment. Know that. Not everyone will probably be on their best behavior like my dog that just came in the door. <laughs> it's going to be messy. And so there's, there has to be that, that patience of this is where they are. Lord, what can I learn from this? And what can I offer through this? So um, the presence part of it, I can't even tell you how valuable that is. I've had people go with me to... In California, they were called IEP meetings, but the education meetings, just having someone sit by me through those long, long meetings was huge because because they're intense. And so they'll hear something that I won't Um, go to a chemotherapy appointment with them, bring them a bag of of soft, fuzzy things. If it's a woman or if it's a man, something that he can do or a game or just it's not about the the diagnoses. It's about being with the person. Right. Yeah. I mean, I find that, you know, myself, I find that a lot of times in churches, you know, somebody finds out that you have a child that has this problem or your husband has this problem or whatever. I don't know much about that, so I can't help. And they completely forget about the caregiver, that that the family is affected by this. And if you just help the caregivers, you're helping the individual with the problem. And I think we forget that a lot of times. But I also, I like what you say about, really, you're just describing very practical things you would do for anybody with any kind of problem. And I think we, in the church, we like to try to make things so specific. We say, you know, a lot of times people say to me, uh, well, I don't know anything about mental illness. I can't really help them. Well, you don't know anything about cancer either, but you help people with cancer. You pray for them, you present, you mow their grass, you take them a casserole. I mean, you know, you even small things can make a huge difference. And I, I think, you know, I like that very practical and focus on the caregiver. If you know nothing about the diagnosis, take them a casserole and find out what they need, you know? And so that's really true. And Matt, I don't know if, if you are aware, but this, the last year and a half, John had a complete um, emotional and psychological breakdown. And so they were diagnosing all kinds of things medically that I mean, it was crushing, which leads into your next question. And nobody could help. Of course, nobody could help change where John was at that time, 
I couldn't do that either. But what I could do was learn and love and care for him, make his appointments, research, um, because caregiving is a family systems thing, mm-hmm. similar to in a negative world, the alcoholic family system. When one person is getting so much of the attention, it's draining to the entire family. So I didn't know anything about a lot of the mental struggles that he's had, and I'm still learning. But the support came through pastors coming into my home and praying with him. A guy came over yesterday and just hung out with him, didn't try to change, didn't try to fix, just with. Right. I, I like what you just said there. Don't try to fix, just encourage, comfort care. I mean, all these other words that we use all the time, stop trying to fix. And because when you fit, when you try to fix, you end up frustrating yourself and you end up causing a lot of discomfort and frustration for the family. But you're right. This leads really well into our next question. And said, so, you know, I know that among our listeners, there are caregivers that are just being crushed by the weight of their responsibilities, just like you just said, and they're quickly losing hope. What, what kind of encouragement can you offer to them today? I so understand that um, it's crushing when you see your loved one suffer either dementia, um, asking the same question a thousand times over and over again, confused about where they are, uh, talking to a wall, you know, you're like, this is not what I, what I thought would be. So first I would say, um, I understand it and I embrace it and I encourage you to embrace being crushed. And that's a grief process. That's a grief process I'm continuing to be in. Whether progress is made positive or negative, it's it's grieving. So embrace it. Um, the next thing that I would say is you've been entrusted with something that God has allowed. And there are all kinds of emotions that go along with that. So address those emotions because it is angering that your loved one is, is now separate from, and you have to adjust your whole schedule. That's frustrating. The decisions that you make can't be made on the feelings though. So take those to the Lord, stay in the Psalms. I love the Psalms because he's one day worshiping the next day. He's like, I cannot stand this God. And God can handle all of that. So first embrace it. Next, know that you've been entrusted with something from God and it has a purpose. It is going to change you. If you stay present and allow God to move in you, which is very, very hard. And the other thing is um, that I'm learning is that the church hasn't taught us a lot about how empowering the Holy Spirit is. And I'm learning that right now. So allow God to say, God, I want to welcome you into my life to do as you will lead me to the people, to the places, to the individuals that will help me pray deeper, know your Holy spirit more because he promises that his grace is sufficient. And when I get to the end of my rope, I know I I need to reach deeper. There's something more that's deeper in the mud Mm -hmm. and God's going to fill that spot. So those are pretty much the three points that I've I'm walking out right now. Yeah, I'm going to go off script a little bit here because of something you said. I, you know, I find that a lot of times when uh, people do find themselves in these situations and they are beginning to be crushed by by the responsibilities and the grief and the shame and everything that's going on, you know, the initial thought is to kind of question the goodness of God. 
you know, how could you be good and let this happen? I wonder if you could tell me that as you, as you did that early on, which everybody does when they're going through this, was there a moment where you, you transitioned from questioning the goodness of God to recognizing kind of the fallenness of the world? You know, could you speak to that? I don't know if that's a good question or not. Oh yeah, it's a great question because (laughs) I don't think we talk about it enough. And um, that when we question his goodness, it's assuming that we know um, what goodness according to our sovereign God looks like. And it's so far beyond what we can imagine. So yeah, with John's first 10, 15 years, there were a lot of the questions that Job wrestles with. And we know that at the end of Job, there's 178 or uh, over 150 questions that Job asked that of course he can't answer because he didn't create the wind. He didn't create that. So we can know that cognitively, emotionally and, and in my soul, I have, I hit another rock bottom when we started this journey with John's mental and um, physical compromise, which has been completely debilitating. And I found a a verse just the other day. Well, first I'll back up and say, I learned to embrace it when I let go of trying to define what God's goodness was. And I had to simply trust God. There's nothing in this day that makes it look good. It's kind of like we're in winter right now, but we know spring is coming. Is anybody questioning that spring will be here? No, because spring always comes around. It's a seasonal thing. God promises goodness. It may not be right at this moment. When the house is falling apart, that doesn't look very good. But when they do the end reveal, it's like, oh my gosh, Lord, I would have never known you this way. I would have never trusted you. And I'm so humbled by the fact that you've walked with me through this. So I found in Mark, the end of Mark 8, Jesus is telling the disciples about his death. And he's saying the son of man must come to suffer many terrible things. And then I looked up, okay, I got to know, I got to dig. What does that really mean? And it said, uh, well, the rest of the verse goes to be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the law. He doesn't mention anything right there about the common man. He talks about the leaders in the church. So as caregivers, as people, we will be hurt in the church. Jesus had, Jesus says right there, he was a, he came to suffer many terrible things. And it was ill treatment. The Greek means ill treatment um, to undergo evils, to be afflicted in many, many ways. So now I know God's with me in this. He had to endure. It was awful. And where you are today may be awful, but that doesn't define God and where he is leading you. And where I am today, Matt, I'm still learning this. I I want, I would love for John to be whole and healed and have a have a fantastic, prosperous life. That may be God's will, and it may not. I'm learning more about Jesus right now and the power of the Holy Spirit to carry me through than I would have ever learned. And I would have missed that had he answered my prayer for John's healing a year ago. So I'm not saying we stop praying for healing. Uh, I am praying for that. But as I'm continually stretched and grappling with the schedule and the therapies and the alternative therapies and the financial exhaustion, I'm like, Lord, I, I, I don't have it. So now I have a friend who's an intercessor that I meet with weekly 
I would have never met her. So the hope is that you stay in it and God brings you to people as you're willing to walk down that dark road one step at a time and learn and take note of every little thing. Um, My Bible app, the verse almost to a daily is exactly what I needed to hear. And that's just one little app. So I note those little things, write them down, like Deuteronomy talks about, write it down, continually write this down, pass this along to your generations. And I'm telling my kids, guys, I don't got, I don't have it, uh, but I know God does. Look at the verse he just gave me today. And that's how your kids will learn how to grow, not only knowing the real Jesus, but in resiliency and in truth, not based upon what others think or what everyone's putting online, but on who they are in their core. I'm sorry, that was a little bit of a long line, but you caught me right in the process of, um, Lord, I've been entrusted with this. I, I want to handle it well and honor you with this. It's not always easy though. I mean, there are some days I'm like, yeah, just stop talking to the ball. <laughs> so, oh, that's wonderful. And just what everyone needs to hear that, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, what you don't need to hear is Romans 8.28. You know, God will work all to good for you. You know, I mean, that's that's Christian cliche. You, you need We need to hear this raw of, you know, what you're telling us here. And really, you know, what you're saying is it's taught you to be dependent on him minute by minute, because what yeah. else do you have at the um, end of the day? I don't, because there's, there is some, um, there are some hours where from like three until bedtime, John is, can be a face it can be completely kind of blank. And yet there's still a process going on. He, he can kind of communicate and I'm, I'm learning, Lord, help me know how to respond to him right now. How can I love him well as he's going through this um, suffering? Well, thank you, Colleen. Thanks for being with us today. I think you've uh, said some things that uh, many of our listeners needed to hear. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for sharing your story and being so open and real and honest. And I'm sure that all of our listeners are going to be refreshed to hear that. So I really appreciate it. Um, If you're listening right now, uh, make sure you tune into our next episode. And, And as always, we will leave all of our HHCI info in the show notes, as well as Reframing Ministries will include that as well. So Thank you so much again, Colleen. Thank you. It's been great to see you, y'all. Thanks.